But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would shine the light, the knowledge of Christ Jesus into our hearts, even now through the preaching of your word, so that we can understand and believe. And Lord, help us Help us to accept the challenge of your word, even as we accept your great mercy through the gospel. We pray these things in Christ Jesus and in in his precious name. Amen. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. These were the words that we heard, we, we hear even this morning, from the lips of Jesus. He says, For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So here are the words of Jesus. What what is he saying? He's saying that as we journey along with him on his way to Jerusalem, on our progress through the book of Luke, what we hear and what we see is an amazing privilege. Something that even King Solomon in all his glory longed to see. And we saw this with the mission of the 72, right? Those 72 that Jesus sent out, they went out like lambs among wolves. Outnumbered, outmatched. But then remember how they returned. With joy. With the kingdom of God overcoming the kingdom of darkness in great power. What a privilege, Jesus says, to behold the kingdom of God arriving with such joy. But then, what do we see next? Well, a parable that once again we are privileged to hear, privileged to behold. 
What a blessing to behold the great law of the kingdom, the law of love, reaching great heights in the person of work of Jesus Christ. It's great heights as we even see in this parable. Now, this is a famous parable, a parable we've heard quite often mentioned in our culture. But here's the main point that I want us to see, that, that I think Jesus wants to see us to see this morning. It's that Jesus calls you to be loving neighbors. Well, it's that simple. But what does that look like? What does it mean to be a loving neighbor, a good neighbor? Well, let's work through this passage and see just how Jesus answers that question. We need to look at this, the lawyer's question, which sets the whole scene for this, this parable. And then we need to look at that parable itself. The lawyer's question and then the teacher's parable. You remember that Jesus had just been rejoicing over the way that the Father has hidden the way of salvation from the wise and the understanding of the world. And he'd revealed it to those of humble faith, of childlike faith. That's what we saw back in verse 21. And as if to prove that very point, behold, a lawyer suddenly jumps into the scene. An expert in the law, he's the epitome of, of the wise and understanding of his day. This, this guy is deeply religious. He's incredibly well studied in the first five books of the Old Testament. He knows the law of Moses like his back hands. But he's not here to learn from Jesus. Even as he stands, you know, this is a posture of respect that a student, a pupil would take towards a, towards a teacher. So he stands to address Jesus. But Luke tells us that even as he says these words, he's testing our Savior. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus knows this is a test. He knows the, hearts, the heart of this man. And he has... His answer includes a test of his own. Okay. You're an expert in the law. What does the law of God say in the first five books of the Old Testament? And the lawyer gives us, in his answer, a breathtaking summary of what I'm going to call the great law of love. The great law of the kingdom, which hangs like a banner over the kingdom of God. First, the lawyer says, he points us to Deuteronomy 6.5. He quotes that passage. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Love for God is that first and greatest pillar of the law. But there's a second pillar one that flows out of the first, if you love God with all your, all your hearts, then you will love your neighbor. And he quotes Leviticus 19.18, which we read this morning. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you can hear from the lips of this 
expert in the law, even as he's testing Jesus. A beautiful summary. A summary that Jesus, on other occasions, has even said himself. Love for God. And then flowing out of that love for neighbor. This is the law of the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, verse 28, you have answered correctly. Any pride that the lawyer was feeling for getting the right answer would quickly fade from his face with these words, do this and you will live. I imagine that it wasn't long at all after Jesus spoke those words that the lawyer started to realize just what he was committing himself to. He was getting the full weight of what he had just confessed. He had just bound himself to perfect, perpetual, full love for God. And then perfect love for all his neighbors. He had just bound himself to an impossibility. So he starts You notice he starts to wiggle his way out. Look at verse 29. He was desiring to justify himself. So he asked this question. Who is my neighbor? That is is only a question I think that can be devised out of the mind of a trained lawyer. Hmm. Okay, Jesus. How do you properly define that technical term, neighbor? He's looking for a legal loophole, right? He's he's trying to to gerrymander his neighborhood so he he can bring down this incredible weight that he's put on himself. Make this law of love more manageable. So who is my neighbor, Jesus? Well, isn't this what we often do with God's law? Rather than seeing the law as a mirror that exposes our lack of love, we try to lower the standard of our holy God to make it more manageable. Oh, it's just, it's just a little white lie. No. God only cares about the big ones. Or maybe, you know, it's, it's just one lustful thought. God, God only cares about those deliberate acts of adultery. And so when we do this, when we try to make the law more manageable, what are we doing? Well, rather than running to Christ for his mercy and power to live out the very law of God, we're adjusting his righteous standards. We're, we're bringing them down just so we can pat ourselves on the back. And I think this is, this is something of what the lawyer is doing when he asks that question. Who is my neighbor? Jesus answers with a breathtaking parable. A parable that's been quoted by insurance companies and PBS series alike. Yes, both Mr. Rogers and State Farm. Well, let's let's look at this parable. And I want us to listen to it as if we're listening to it for the first time. As if we're sitting under the feet of Jesus, that lawyer hearing what he has to say. And he starts with the Jericho Road. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was 17 miles wide. It was a trek that brought travelers 
way down from that hill country up in Jerusalem and, and down into the Rift Valley of Jericho. And as you're going down that trail, just the way the geography works, there's all kinds of cliffs and rocky outcrops that are a notorious place for robbers to hide imagine what they would do. Thieves would hide behind the cliffs and they'd jump out to ambush travelers, weak and weary travelers passing by. And in fact, this road was so notorious for this that it had a nickname. It was called the Bloody Path, the Bloody Way. The dangers of this bloody path become a reality for the Jewish traveler along this road in our parable. What happens? He falls into the hands of robbers. Robbers who don't just mug him. Now that would be one thing, wouldn't it? If they beat him up a little and took his money. Look at what they do. They strip him of his clothes. Humiliating. Then they beat his body with blow after blow after blow, until he crumples to the ground in a bloody heap. And then, the thieves scurry off the side of the road, leaving this man half dead. Just picture the scene. Here's this man, barely recognizable, sun beating down on, upon him at this time as, his, as the blood starts to dry, mat to his hair, and every second that passes down uh, passes by is another second of lost hope. Until a ray of hope does cross this scene. Finally, a priest is traveling along the road and he's coming from Jerusalem, probably after completing his temple duties for, for the day. And so here comes this priest trotting down the Jericho Road. Now surely... A man of the cloth, as the Irish like to put it, would intervene for this man. Surely the one who steps in between God and men would intervene for this bloody mess on the side of the road. Well, he comes to the spot where the man lies. He takes in the scene. And what happens? He quickly ducks his head, passes by on the side of the road, and makes his way. Why? Why? Was he afraid of being taken advantage of? You know, maybe, maybe the robbers are still hanging around behind, behind the, uh, some, a cliff face. He goes up. Maybe he's endangering himself. Or maybe the schedule was just too busy. He had things to do in Jericho. He needed to be going. This was a huge time commitment. We're not told. We're not told what was going through his mind, but the priest rationalized. He ducked his head and he moved on. And with him goes that ray of hope until another flashes across this scene. Another ray of hope making his way down the Jericho road it's a Levite. Now, Levite was another leader 
in charge of ceremonial duties in Israel. So he too would be very familiar with the temple, perhaps was coming from similar duties in Jerusalem. And what does he do? He comes to the scene of the crime. And just like, just like the priest, he sees the man lying on the side of the road. But he too quickly dips, ducks, and dives out of the way to the other side of the road and on to Jericho. Again, we have to wonder, why? Why would he do that? A Levite, leader of the people. Was he concerned with getting his hands dirty? Did he convince himself that this man was simply too far gone? Just think of some of the reasons that might come across our minds when we see someone in need. There are plenty of rationalizations to be found. There are plenty of reasons to pass on that side of the road. But as he goes, so goes a second glimmer of hope for this man. Until a an outline of a third crosses across the horizon. Now, Jesus, if you were listening to Jesus, if you were that first century Jewish audience hanging on every word he's saying here, at this point, you'd have it figured out. Okay, it's not the priest. It's not the Levite. It's got to be the, Jew- the common Jewish man because this was the common trio of Jesus' day. The priest, the Levite, and the common man. They would always go together. So you think, I know exactly what this story is. This is a story bashing the priest, saying they they don't have it figured out, but the common man does. But what do we hear? What did they hear? In verse 33. But... A Samaritan. A Samaritan. Truly shocking words from the lips of Jesus. And here's why. It's because Samaritans and Jews despised each other. See, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. There was only half-breed Samaritan. Heretical Samaritan. Because Samaritans were, were those who... Uh, who, they were the descendants of Jews and Assyrians that had intermarried. They'd set up a rival temple. John and James were so turned off to these Samaritans that in chapter 9, remember, they wanted to call down fire upon them. Despised people. If anyone has a reason to leave that Jewish man dying on the side of the road, it's this guy. It's his enemy. And yet what happens? He arrives at the spot. He sees. But then something different happens this time. He has compassion. And we need to see in the Samaritan the profile of the good neighbor, the compassionate neighbor. Look at what he does. A good neighbor notices those in need. 
He's filled with compassion that reaches beyond political bounds, beyond racial lines. But a good neighbor does more than just care. A good neighbor moves to meet the need with personal sacrifice. And look at this costly sacrifice we see. This good Samaritan shows a risky kind of mercy. He stops to nurse the wounds of this, this man with his own first aid kit, turning his back to robbers along, that might be hanging alongside the road. He puts the man on his own animal, his, perhaps a donkey, you know, loading him on, taking him to an inn, paying for 24 days of lodging for this man. And then, after going out of his way, after sacrificing his time, he leaves this guy a blank check, telling that innkeeper, charge, charge me for whatever other expenses pile up. I'll be back to pay the full price. You see how risky that is. Whatever it is, I'll pay it for this man, this stranger. And then perhaps the most amazing thing of all is that this good neighbor slips off without recognition. He doesn't hang around. Yes, I was the one. When all others abandoned you, I saved you. No. He slips off onto the road without even a bit of recognition for what he's done. And as this parable closes, we find an answer to the lawyer's question. Who is my neighbor? My neighbor is anyone at all who God places before me in need. Anyone at all who, the, who God has placed before me along my path to show compassion But notice what Jesus has done. He's answered that question, but in answering that, he's actually posed a deeper one. Question for the lawyer to question for each of us. Are you a neighbor? Am I a neighbor? See, Jesus, Jesus is, is much more concerned about neighbor as a verb than neighbor as a noun. Your neighbor, yes, is anyone who the Lord places before you in need. But Jesus is constantly driving to a deeper point. You must be a neighbor. And in verse 36, he says this, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And look at, look at the lawyer's answer. He can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. But he gets, he gets the point right. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus places this challenge upon his heart. Go and do likewise. This is the main point of the whole passage. The question we asked at the beginning of this sermon. How? How can I be a good neighbor? 
What is a good neighbor? A good neighbor is one who shows mercy to others regardless of their identity. Brothers and sisters, Jesus leaves leaves the weight of that question, leaves the weight of that command, go and do likewise on our hearts. Are you a good neighbor? We should ask ourselves that question because opportunities for being a good neighbor abound. They are left and right today. And there's, there's really only two postures to take towards, towards the, the kinds of opportunities for compassion that cross our path. We could be like that priest and Levite. And how often I know that even in my own heart, I am so like them. Rationalizing need. Rationalizing our way out of moving towards someone in need. How often have we said, I just don't want to be taken advantage of. I don't know what that person is going to use the money they're asking for. And and let me be very clear. There are unwise ways to show mercy. There There are books we could look at that detail good, wise ways to move towards people in mercy. But what Jesus shows us in this passage means mercy often involves risks. A risky kind of compassion. So how about those that have very different view of COVID restrictions than you do? How can you move towards those people as, as, as a good neighbor. How about those on the other side of the political aisle from you? How can you move past the boundaries that are set up by our culture, that are set up perhaps in your, your own mind, and show lavish, costly mercy to those who annoy you with their Facebook post every single day, right? One area where where I'd like to challenge us to seek to improve is with our neighbors who are so emotionally needy. Emotionally needy. Because I think, yes, it's possible that we come across someone who's been mugged in an alleyway, on the streets of our neighborhoods, but it's, I think it's much, much more likely for us today to encounter neighbors who simply overwhelm us with the kind of emotional needs. They need time. To, we, we, we must sacrifice our time to listen to them, to seek to help them. God calls us to be Good neighbors to all these people. Ones who shower lavish mercy upon others regardless of their identity. Well, even as we hear these things, as they're laid upon our heart, we should be overwhelmed by them. Because I think that's the whole point of this parable, in fact, is to see 
the law of God in all of its grandeur and with all of its demands. And yes, to see how much we, we need to, to seek it, but also to see how, fall, how short of it we fall. And as we realize that, we need to remind ourselves that we have the greatest neighbor, a neighbor who shows us incredible mercy, Jesus Christ. When he met us on the road, we weren't just half dead. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. And he took us, he took his enemies. And what did he do? He tended to our wounds at his own great expense, the expense of his very life. Matthew 20, 28 says this, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, you have been shown unspeakable love by one who was once your enemy because of your sin. How can you not go and out of that mercy do likewise? How can you not go and shower your mercy with compassion, with the same compassion that's showered upon you by the one who now enables you to go and do likewise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we see beautiful love in this, in this parable, but also challenging love, and we know we need your enabling hand. We need, we need your enabling work of the Spirit Lord, we're thankful that we have the greatest neighbor, one who is patient with us and one who has already demonstrated costly love. Love that includes not only compassion, but deeds of mercy. We pray that we would show the same to those in need around us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.